Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph, and we are now in lesson 43. And last time, if you remember, we were covering uh, chapter 14 about God choosing again Jacob and bringing back uh, his people to his land to do his work, to proclaim his light to all the nations, in other words, to fulfill the, point of the purpose. And then in the same chapter, we're reading also about the counterfeit church, the false church. And God, I think, uh, in essence, it's, well, men uh, divided the chapters, but you see in this context that God put these two together, one against the other, the true church and the false church. And there are no two true churches, there's only one true church. And one is Israel, that basically were composed of physical people, and some of them were spiritual, and in other words, they had the Spirit of God, and that you read from the beginning of time. Uh, that's why the book of uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 talks about all the, the men of faith that uh, were from the days of uh, righteous Abel, and then uh, most of them were among the children of Israel. And then after that, uh, as God finishes his purpose, all Israel shall be saved. In other words, all of them are going to be spiritual Israel. And so when the so-called the New Testament speaks about the spiritual Israel, that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about God rejecting his people and taking somebody else and making them spiritual Israel. The people that had no background misunderstood the whole context. And that's what the, the full church, the counterfeit church, you know, all those who came within the church, like Simon Magus and all the others, and the mystery of iniquity that Paul talks about, and all these people, the false preachers, that all the disciples of Christ, all the apostles, and Jude, and Peter, and everyone else, uh, they were all speaking against that uh, fifth column, so to speak, that came within the church of God, within the Israel of God, within the people of God, the chosen seed of Jacob, uh, were by now... They, it included also some of the grafted ones from the nations, and this false uh, church that began to rise from within, that is, in other words, false witnesses, that's what they were, that's what the church is, ultimately speaking from the biblical point of view, not man's, this false witnesses came and bore a false witness of a false Christ, of a false gospel. And that's why uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians to, come, uh, to remind his people. And at that point, he was speaking to people who were among the grafted ones, olive, uh, that is, uh, wild olive branches, the Galatians, where most of them were uh, non-Israelites. And he was warning them that though somebody else comes and brings another gospel because people were doing it. You know, the mystery of iniquity was already working. The heresy was already within the church. And Paul had to combat that, not only uh, with the Galatians, but, you know, the, in the Romans. The book of Romans, the letter to the epistle, uh, that is the epistle to the Romans, that included both Israelites, that is Jews and uh, others, and uh, also the non-Israelites. And he was telling them about that false doctrine that was creeping into the church. And specifically in chapter 9, 10, 11, he is combating that. Where people began to think, well, we are Israel, God rejected them. And we are now the people of God. And he was, you know, putting them uh, where they belong. Uh, to understand it from God's point of view, from the beginning until the end, that God is going to save all of his people. He never rejected them. They are his people, and they will always be his people to fulfill his purpose. And he, and he chose them to his own glory. And so we read, uh, this is what we read in chapter 14, and we see by, uh, the spirit that is behind it in verse 12, uh, where we read, How 
You are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground? You who weakened the nations. You see, that's the spirit that was behind this whole counterfeit church that was, in essence, taking to herself all the trappings of Israel. The God of Israel, the apostles of Israel, the prophets of Israel, the teachings of Israel, at least in part, in terms of salvation and grace and all that, and uh, appropriating that to herself. And that was a false church, just like in the days of Babylon and the days of Abraham, where there were these two factions, the children of light, like Abraham and his family, many others, who still worship God and knew the laws of God and obeyed God, and God told them, just get out of that place, get out of Babylon, completely come out of it, and they did. The whole family came out of Babylon and went to Haran, and then there God says, I want only you, Abraham, and even then he brought Lot with him. And when he came to the land of Canaan, even then, God made a separation where Lot was sent, so to speak, by circumstances into the, the other side of the Jordan, near the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and Abraham remained there because it was only Abraham that wanted. And Ishmael, God sent him away. And he saw God sent him away. You see, it's only Jacob. That's the way God worked all this time. Though he's the God of the whole earth. He had a plan of salvation, and Israel was the one that is to fulfill that one. And through Israel, all nations would come, and they would become the children. Israel was the bride, the wife of God, will be the wife of God, and there is none else. That's why it's called the God of Israel. And people who have no background don't understand that. And so that's why many of us, uh, after so many centuries of deception, that became so deeply entrenched you know, in the mind and the heart of the so-called Christians, Members of established Christianity and those that came out of it brought it with them, just like the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. They brought some, a lot of the teachings of Egypt with them and integrated them with the religion of God. And even in the wilderness, while they were serving God, they were worshipping idols and offering to demons, as God called it. So, nothing new under the sun. Well, anyway, this spirit is constantly behind it. Lucifer, the one that became Satan. And then at the end of the chapter in verse 32, after speaking about uh, the destruction of the enemies of Israel, uh, God says uh, in, verse, in verse 32, What will they answer the messengers of the nation? That the Eternal has founded Zion. That's the who? Zion. That's symbolic of the, of the nation of Israel. And the poor of his people. His people. Who are his people? The whole Bible makes it very plain who are his people. And the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. They're going to be the refugees at the end time that will come out of the whole world because they were in captivity. That is the majority of them. And even then, when Christ comes down on this earth, he's going to send his angels to all the corners of the earth to bring his people from everywhere. And that's why you read in the book of Revelation at the end time, there is going to be a huge multitude without number from all the nations of the earth. You see, that God is going to bring out of the, the calamity of this world. And people think, well, that's talking about uh, all the nations of the earth. Yes, it's talking about all the nations of the earth, but the specific emphasis of that is the children of Israel that are going to be brought, be brought back from the four corners of the world to their land, to their Savior, to their Maker. And through them that God is going to reach all nations of the earth. And of course, among them, always those who are being grafted. But the members of the bride are basically, generally speaking, with the emphasis is on Israel. And then few others that have been grafted. 
And that's the way God worked it from the beginning until the end. Let's continue now with uh, Isaiah 17, where we continue the story. In Isaiah 17 and verse 4, we read, In that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane. You see, that means fade. And the fatness of his flesh flesh grow lean. In other words, because of the punishment that God is going to bring upon them. It shall be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the the heads with his arm. It shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. That is a valley that is around uh, Jerusalem. Yet, yet, see, there's always the other part of the story, the other side of the coin. Yet, gleaning grapes will be left in it. Like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives at the top of the uppermost bough. See, these are the first fruit. Few. This is not a great harvest. In other words, even us today in the past 2,000 years, the called out ones, we're the little flock. We're only the very few. We're the first fruit. We're the scouts, so to speak. We're like the spies that were sent to the land of Israel to scout the land. And the scouts, or the pioneers, or the first fruit, cannot call themselves the church, in the true sense, because we are the first fruit of the church. The great harvest is yet to come. This is when the church is going to be born, so to speak. And then, even then, at the end time, thousand years later, when all of Israel were relieved from the days of Jacob to the end of time, are going to be resurrected. And that's where even the greatest harvest, the people of Israel, that will join the bride and join the marriage, which is on a continuous basis. Some people say, well, it's not a continuum. Yes, it is. God makes it very plain. It is a continuum. The marriage that he has with his people is on a continuous basis. He married Israel in one ceremony in Sinai, but he constantly renewed that covenant on a generational basis. It's not like the marriage of men. You know, man and woman get married, that's it. It's a one-time event. You don't get married every day. And you don't bring more and more into that marriage every day because there are only two of them. Well, that's a physical analogy, and you can go only that far. And the marriage between God and his people, that's every time they're born, generation after generation, they join the marriage. They join the wife. They become a part of the wife. And so it will be spiritually. For those who are being born and receive the Holy Spirit and are changed, they join the marriage. Even though it's a one-time ceremony, but the reality is that it goes on. So we have to understand all you know the, the difference there between the human analogy and the, the spiritual analogy. You know, there's always any analogy a limit. It breaks down at a certain point. You know, people shouldn't take it to ridiculous ends. And so, in uh, verse uh, six, uh, we, this is what we read: "Yet gleaning grapes will be left in it, like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives at the top. In other words, few of them." of the uppermost bow, four or five in its most fruitful branches. In other words, God is going to convey the message that in the beginning only few are going to be gathered. They're going to be the first fruit, the first of many. And uh, yet all of Israel shall be saved because all of them are going to become spiritual Israel uh, along with the few gra- you know, grafted from among the nations. And so this is, the, you know, the, the bottom line of the statement is uh, for Four or five in its most fruitful branches, says the eternal God of Israel. You see, in that day a man will look to his maker, speaking about Israel, and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. 
And he's no longer he's going to have altars and uh, all the other abominations that have committed for a long, long time. For which reason, uh, God had to reject them, as it says in verse 10, because you have forgotten the God of your salvation. See, that's the reason why he sent them into, uh, into captivity and put them on the shelf, so to speak, and blinded them and made them, uh, you know, foolish. Well, they could not understand. They read, but they don't understand. They became blind. You know, the wisdom of their otherwise perished. But all that is on a temporary basis. And people forget that. But not the people that read the whole book. They know the whole story from the beginning until the end. It's just like, you know, you had a preview of the movie. And then when he comes and brings somebody else to see the movie, uh, he doesn't know what's happening next. He may think at this point or that point, well, it's all over. But you've seen it before that. You can tell them, no, don't worry about it. You know, wait until the end of the story and you'll see. Now, that's what God is telling us through his prophets. He saw the whole movie from the beginning until the end. And through his prophets, he's giving us this uh, information, bits here and bits there, about the whole story. Now, let's read it from his point of view and put on his glasses to see the truth, not our own on that oath, the world that we, uh, out of which we came. Chapter 18, verse 7. We read about the restoration of Israel. In verse 7, In that time a present will be brought to the eternal of hosts, from a people tall and smooth of skin. In other words, speaking about his own people, the gift that is going to be brought back, his own children. And from a, a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide, to the place of the name of the eternal of hosts, to the Mount of Zion. And uh, later on you read in Zephaniah also, chapter 3 and verse 10, something about the same uh, same thing. In other words, when God brings back his captivity, he's going to, uh, to uh, cause the nations of the earth to be so fearful of God that they're going to uh, turn around and uh, recognize him as the God of heaven and earth, and they're going to bring his people where they took into captivity and abused them all around the earth and martyred many of them, and they're going to bring back all of them. And they're going to carry them on their back if they need to, uh, all the way back to the land of the God of Israel, or the God of the universe, and they are going to be obedient also to God. And through Israel, they are going to learn of the ways of God. In chapter 19, we read in verse 16, In that day Egypt, speaking about one of the nations that is an enemy of Israel, and become yet much worse enemy of Israel, even today they are not really at peace with Israel, all they have to do is read their papers, where they are constantly filled with venom against the people of Judah. And it says in verse 16, in that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, of the eternal of hosts, which he waves over it. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt in that day. So he's not talking about the old days, he's speaking about today. And the uh, people of Israel, uh, you know, in the land of Judah, which are basically the house of Judah, uh, they've been terrorizing uh, all the nations all around, so to speak. Because that's the way God made it to be. And people don't realize that. They think, you know, the Israelis are terrible people. At least from the point of view of the enemies of Israel. And so God is the one doing it. And it says in the land of Judah, in verse 17, will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself. Because of the counsel of the eternal of the hosts, which he has determined against it. It's not man. It's not the generals of Israel. It's not the weapons of Israel. It's not the nuclear weapon they have. It's not their armies. It is God who is putting that fear in them. He's the one that is giving them the victory. And he is also the one that is going to punish his own people. 
by the hand of those very enemies. But then he's going to turn around and reconcile all of them. And this is what we read here in verse 18. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan. We spoke earlier about uh, the original language and what language is going to be spoken in the future. At least that's a uh, speculation. But we read here that the land of Egypt, five cities in the land of Egypt, are going to speak the land of Canaan. What's the land of Canaan? But the land, you know, the language of Hebrew. And swear by the Eternal of hosts. They're going to swear by Jehovah. That's the name they're going to swear by. God commanded His people to swear by His name, just not to take it in vain. And instead of learning and listening to their God, they just went to the uh, to the extreme of uh, not using His name at all, which was a Babylonish custom. Not to use the name of their deities, but to give them a euphemism and to uh, speak to, uh, about them in those terms. And so, well, uh, if you see, you do it, uh, you know, out of a sincere heart and reverence or whatever, you know, it's, it's one thing. But on the other hand, when God tells you to do something, you do it very plainly and do it His way, not your way. And God made it very plain. You swear by my name, and my name is Jehovah, He said. He said, you swear by my name, you just don't take it in vain. Do it with respect and reverence and honor. So we're finding G Egypt doing that. They're going to swear by the, by the by Jehovah of hosts, you know, the Lord of hosts in English, but the eternal of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. I'm speaking about uh, Egypt. In that day there will be an altar to the eternal in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the eternal at its border. In other words, the time will come when there are going to be altars not only in Egypt but throughout the whole earth where God is going to be worshipped by all the nations of the earth. And the center will be Jerusalem and actually in Zion, the temple. We mentioned that earlier in an earlier lesson. In the city, uh, in other words, in the temple where God would dwell, which would be a few miles away from Jerusalem itself. And the portion that is called the holy portion. And the area of the priests. But Jerusalem would be in the area where Israel would, would dwell. That is, uh, you might say, south. That is actually north, north of the temple itself. And so an altar is going to be in the middle, uh, in, in the land of Egypt, and also a pillar on the border between Egypt and Israel. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the eternal of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the eternal because of the oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. So he's speaking about uh, the God of heaven and earth that is coming to this earth to rule as king of kings, being sent by the one who is called the father. In other words, God is going to deliver Egypt once they come to repentance and acknowledge who is the God of heaven and earth. Because after all, remember, most of them are the children of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. Verse 21, Then the Eternal will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Eternal in that day. So speaking about the future. And will make sacrifice and offering like all the other nations who are going to sacrifice and bring offering. And the counterfeit church says, well, that's all done away with. That's an old stuff. It's not for us. It's Jewish. You know, that's for the ancient church, the ancient people, the old covenant. These are not the teachings of God, these are the teachings of a liar. God made it very plain from the beginning until the end. He had to read it carefully. As I said, put on the glasses of God and not those of uh, other nations, especially the, the, the false church. 
And he will make, in other words, uh, Egyptians will uh, bring sacrifices and make offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Eternal and perform it. Verse 22, and the Eternal will strike Egypt, he will strike and heal it. That is, you know, when they are rebellious, uh, before that, before they come to know him. And they will return, that is, uh, repent, uh, they will return to the Eternal, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Well, the Assyria is talking about is where today uh, modern Syria is. And, uh, you know, so it's not speaking about Europe, any, any place in Europe. But it's speaking in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. And by the way, some people may not realize that, that uh, the grandson of Abraham called Ashurim from his wife Keturah, after, you know, the death of Sarah, uh, he had a son, uh, that is a grandson that was called Ashurim. And that Ashurim and Ashur, which is Assyria, is the same name, only one is in plural, uh, because the Ashur is one, and Ashurim many. Uh, Josephus tells us that after this grandson of Abraham, the land adjacent to the Assyrian Empire was also called the land of Assyria, because they too were Assyrians. In other words, that was their name. Uh, it, it was a coincidence, in that sense, you might say. But they lived side by side, and uh, unfortunately, since they, they were no longer a part of the people of Israel, they oftentimes uh, were allied with the Assyrians against their own kinsmen, children of Abraham. The children of Israel. So they were also partakers, and actually they were to this very day uh, uh, linked with the Assyrians. As, as I mentioned earlier, that the uh, descendants of this Ashur uh, finally ended up, that is, the majority of them, in the land that is called today Austria. And if you look at the genealogy of the rulers of Austria, you go to the first one, the one at the top of the list, if you can get hold you know, of, that, of that list. And you see the first one, the Archduke, the first one that ruled over, as the Assyrians look upon it, that is, the Austrians look upon it from ancient time, was Abraham. Because they realized that, you know, they understand it. In other words, God still preserved knowledge and understanding out there. And these people of Assyria, and think about it uh, in these terms. Uh, as we continue to read here, in that day, in verse 24, in that day Israel will be one of three, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land. In other words, what you're seeing here is in essence, you're seeing in the middle the children of Sarah, specific Isaac and then Jacob, that is Israel. To the south you see the children of Hagar, also a wife of Abraham. And to the north you see the children of Keturah, also a wife of Abraham. And that's in essence, I think, what God is speaking about. That God is going to gather all of his descendants, the descendants of Abraham, and they're all going to live in peace together and be reconciled to each other. And obviously the Assyrian of the Assyrian Empire, you know, they became uh, modern Germans, they are not related. And so he's not talking about them in that sense. He's talking about the children of uh, Ashurim that also were called as Assyria. You know, that they come as a shock to some people who, all in all, all their time, they thought that Assyria means only Germany. And not having background. Well, read it in Josephus. Uh, the historic accounts, there's plenty there about the Hittite Empire that were actually the, the Ashurim, grandson of Abraham. And later on, some of them migrated to Rome. As a matter of fact, his, history tells us 
some of the descendants of that uh, nation, of that people, are the ones that, that uh, established Rome, the Republic, the beginning of it. You know, the, the legend about the, the two, uh, the twins that were uh, suckled by uh, a wolf, Remus and Remulus. They were the children of that uh, Assyrian from Ashur, from Ashurim. And I, think, I believe his name was Enan. They were the sons of Enan. Anyway, in verse 25, whom the eternal, in other words, verse 24, in that the Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, because they're all uh, children of Abraham. From Sarah in the middle, from Hagar on the south, and from Keturah on the east, and of course others that were with them, because they had many children. And then uh, this is what God is saying. Uh, in, in that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria and a blessing in the midst of the land. No more curse, no more fighting, no more family squabbles, no more butchering one another, or living in peace, all serving the same God. And verse 25, whom the eternal of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, because they're really his people, not only in the sense that they're going to obey him, but the mere fact that the children of Abraham, to whom he made the promise that all these descendants are going to be blessed in him. You know, by his special seed that will come out of him and all of them are going to serve him. That's the one that became the Messiah of Israel. And so he can say, Blessed is Egypt, my people. You have to understand the background behind it. And Assyria, the children of Keturah and others, uh, the work of my hands and Israel, my inheritance. You see, Israel is always the inheritance of God, the people of God, the church of God, the bride of the Lamb to come. And also a few others who have been grafted. But they are going to be through this marriage, producing the rest of humanity as children. Let's go now to uh, chapter 25, where we continue the story. In verse 6, in chapter 25 and verse 6, we read, And in this mountain, speaking when God is going to come down and, uh, and destroy the nations of the earth and punish all mankind and bring them to their senses, the remnant of them. And then in verse 6, and in this mountain, the eternal, that is in the Mount of Zion, the eternal of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the leaves, of fat things, full of marrow, of well-refined wine, speaking spiritually, and he's going to teach them of his law, of his, of his truth, and wine on leaves, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the lot of the covering cast over all the people. That's why they're all blind, because they're all drinking of the wine of the fornications of what God calls the great whore, and the harlots, and the offshoots of that, and all the other nations that came out of Babylon, the original Babylon from, you know, from uh, the, city, uh, the city of Babel and all the others, and the city you know, around them, where they spread that religion throughout the whole earth. And so God is going to make all those representatives come to Israel, to Zion, to Jerusalem, where the children of Israel would reside, and he's going to open their eyes and give them his spirit and grant them repentance and teach them his law. That's what it says. For the law shall go forth out of Zion in the word of the eternal from Jerusalem. That's what he's speaking about. And that's how he's going to remove the blindness from them. And the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And he's going to do it through his people Israel. Because this people is going to fulfill the job that God called them to begin with. And he had never rejected them. And so in verse 8 we read, He will swallow up death forever. That's the ultimate at the end. The end of a thousand years. This is taken not only the time when he's coming 
first, you know, the second coming, we're speaking about the ultimate one, the second resurrection. Well, there will be no more death. So, this is the gospel that Paul was talking about. The gospel has been preached unto them as well as unto us, speaking about the people of Israel. Nothing new in the New Testament. All those things were preached long in advance by the same one that came and spoke to his own people in the flesh and gave this knowledge to, to his disciples, who knew all along that the prophets knew all about it, if not in details. And so they'll swallow up death forever, and the eternal God will wipe away all tears. And here to go to the end of Revelation, you see the same thing in chapter 7, verse 17, and in 21, verse 4. And uh, then it says, And the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the eternal has spoken. You see, God makes the whole plan of salvation very plain from the beginning until the end. And people are confused and they don't understand it because they don't read it from God's point of view. And verse 9. And it, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him. And He will save us. People of Israel knew that. They did not lose knowledge and understanding of that. The apostles knew it. That's why they asked Him, Lord, will you return at this time the kingdom to Israel? So where did that false doctrine came about that God rejected his people put down the, you know, Israel and picked up the church dispensationalism you know, and, and uh, replacement theology it's all the one of the fornication of the great whore and people believe in it and they become a part of Babylon in, in that faith verse 9 and it will be said in that day behold this is our God we have waited for him and he will save us this is the eternal we have waited for him we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And the children of Israel read it generation after generation and knew the truth. And those especially in the Jewish community who constantly read the book because it was there in the synagogue while others didn't have it because this book was not being read. Yeah, the country was being burned by the counterfeit church for centuries. They were burning it whenever they could and destroying it. But the people of Judah with all their ignorance and blindness and they rebelled into one degree or the other, still retained a good measure of the knowledge, and as long as they had this book in their hands, in the synagogue, and later on in their own homes, they still were in the light, at least to that degree. They never gave up, they knew God never rejected them, they knew that God punished them, they knew that God will restore them. This is what God told them, this is what Christ told them, through the prophets, through the apostles. And so, in verse 10 we read, for on this mountain, the hand of the Eternal will rest. Mountain of Israel. And this is where the people of God will be. And then we go to chapter uh, 26 and verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Remember the emphasis in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Isaiah? The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which you saw in the days of those kings for Judah and Jerusalem. So God is emphasizing that land. Because these are the people that retain the, the, this, are the people that have been known as the people of the book, with all their uh, shortcomings. And so God is looking at it from that point of view. He's coming to his own. And salvation is coming to Zion first. It's coming to Judah first, to the tents of Judah first. Then the remnant of Israel and all the Jews who are outside there, which are the majority, they too are going to be brought back to the land to which they didn't go back all this time. And they will become his people. But the emphasis is from the point of view of where things are happening. And so it says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. 
God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates. And you can go to the prayer book in the synagogue. You find these words there. And they know them. They know what it means. They know that God never rejected them. They know that they are the true people of God, that is the church of God. And all the other tribes of Israel who are going to come back. And for that matter, the overwhelming majority of the Jews were not religious to begin with. It's only the few among them who are religious. So in essence, we're not talking about the Jews, we're talking about the religious Jews. And, you know, there's a distinction there. Only a minority of them are religious and believe these words. And so this is what we read. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. And then gates, uh, verse 2, open the gates. And will not, and uh, uh, that the righteous nation, who is the righteous nation? The people of Israel. That God is going to make righteous, because he atoned for their sins and iniquities. He's going to make his bride beautiful, without spots, without blemishes, with his own blood. That's what he's talking about. Yet this is not what people have understood it to be. Because of their ignorance, because, you know, like Peter said, men who are unlearned, wrestle with the scriptures to their own destruction, not only of Paul, but of others. And so it says, open the gate of the righteous nation which keeps the truth. What is the truth? You read it from Genesis to Revelation. But the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. And this time all of Israel will be children of righteousness. And that's the very name that God gave them, Yeshurun. Righteous. See? Because they keep the truth. Because God is going to teach them the truth. Heal them. Remove a veil from them. Reveal himself to them. And... Pour on them the spirit of grace and supplication, as you can read in uh, Zechariah 12. And they shall know him, whom they have pierced. And he's speaking also about all the rest of the nations of Israel that he's going to bring back. They're not going to be rebellious anymore, and I'm going to call his law Jewish, and his Sabbath Jewish, you see, in a contemptible manner. All these other feasts of the eternal. That's what God called it in Leviticus 23, verse 1, 2. And so... Now they're going to be a righteous nation. Verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you, trusts in the Lord forever, for in Yah, that is Yah, the name of God, is the eternal, you know, Yah, the eternal, is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city, and speaking about the counterfeit church in specific, see, the story, the whole story in the Bible is about two churches. The true one and the false one. And so it is in the New Testament. The true one and the false one. And people didn't get it. They went for the false one thinking it's the true one. Even all the children of Israel, generally speaking, went for the false one thinking it's the true one. And so God is going to bring it down. And it says he lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The food shall tread it down. The feet of the poor, that is the righteous, blessed are the poor, as Christ would say. That is, poor in spirit, humble, righteous. And the steps of the needy. Verse 7, And the way of the just is uprightness, almost upright. You were the path of the just. Yea, in the path, in the way of your judgments. See, judgments, you see the terminology. O eternal, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name, Jehovah. And for the remembrance of you, with my soul I have desired you in the right. This is Israel repenting. This is the righteous. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the, of the world will learn righteousness. No more iniquity. 
Verse 10, let the grace, you know, people talk about grace, give me grace. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn. And that's exactly what is happening with the counterfeit church. They talk about grace, but do they learn? They hate the law of God. So it says, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. What is righteousness but the Torah of God? In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly. And so again, God is constantly contrasting, you know, one with the other. And you can read the, the rest of the chapter. I mean, we cannot read the whole Bible, but, you know, there is plenty there to tell you about uh, the people of God, the true church of God, and the false church. And there is no reason for anybody to be blind. It's all there, black and white. In chapter 27, in verse 1, In that day the Eternal, with his severe word, great and strong, will punish Leviathan the fling serpent, Leviathan that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea, speaking uh, uh, metaphorically about Satan, the destruction of Satan, the destruction of his world, the destruction of, uh, of his system, and the destruction of the great uh, false church. And then, once he, die, he does that, you know, he brings back uh, his own people to his own land. As you can read in, in verse 6, those who come he will cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and will fill the face of the world with fruit. In other words, finally Israel beginning to fulfill his commission. That's why Israel has never been rejected. Because God knew that he has a timetable. And even though Jacob rebelled against him, and he had to be punished and thrown out of the country, so to speak. And God had to blind him, conclude him in unbelief. And uh, not all of them, even then, some of them, you know, in essence the majority of them, true, but some were still righteous. But God is going to fulfill his purpose in Israel, in Jacob, in his firstborn, in his true church. There is no need for him to marry somebody else. And yet people who believe lies and follow lies and, and accept lies and are filled with the wine of the fornication of the the great horror, as you read in Revelation, they say the words of God, not of man, are being deceived, and they don't understand it. So, you know, like blind people, they read the Bible, they don't understand what they're reading. We shouldn't be of that name, of that mind, of that kind. We have to come out of Babylon and put on the glasses of God and look at the Bible from his own point of view. As he made it black and white, so to speak, very plain. You know, the simple can understand. The simplicity that is in Christ is there from the beginning until the end. And so, yes, God punishes his people, but he brings them back from captivity. And he's going to make them uh, fill the face of the whole world with fruit, righteousness. And that's how the whole earth is going to be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas. Because Israel is going to fulfill their purpose. And you can read the rest of the chapter. It tells you more and more about it, an awful lot of it. God is going to bring back uh, the outcasts of his people. Verse 12, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Eternal will thresh from the channel of the river, speaking about the Euphrates, to the brook of Egypt. Actually, it's the river of Egypt, it's not brook. Uh, people uh, change that to fit their own uh, misconception. Speaking about the Nile. And it shall be gathered one by one. O you children of Israel, one by one. None of them is going to be missed. God is going to bring back his people. He knows where every single one of them are, even though they don't know who they are. God knows who they are. He's going to bring them one by one. 
He's going to send his angels after them. He's going to make the people know who they are and bring them back one by one to his own land. Verse 13, So it shall be in that day the great trumpet will be blown. You know the great trump? This is the trumpet of Jubilee. And they will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria. And they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt. And for that matter, all around the earth. He said just uh, two names that he's throwing there. And shall worship the eternal in the holy mound at Jerusalem. It's going to be Jerusalem, and the whole portion is called the holy mound, but the temple itself will be in Zion, which is, as I explained before, north of uh, Jerusalem. And it says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. So it's going back and forth, chapter 21 and verse 1. Let's go now to... Uh, Chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, we read, In that day the eternal of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. In other words, the defenders of the city. But they also have erred through wine, speaking about his own people. That means he's going back and forth in describing their salvation, the returning captivity, and at the same time he's going back and forth through time. You see, for him it's just a matter of a few minutes of being eternal. Uh, the fact, well, they were rebellious, but I'll bring them back. I'm going to punish them, and they're going to be my people. They'll spread my faith throughout the whole world. And then he speaks about the bad things, the good things. He's going back and forth all the time. And that's why you have to read it from the point of view of God. And people that don't do it, they get totally mixed up. They don't see it that way. And God says they are intoxicated now, you know, in verse 7. But they have also erred and, uh, through wine. That is, you know, the wine, uh, as in Revelation, you read about it, you know, the, the wine of the wrath of her fornication. They are filled with the spirit of Babylon, with the, truth, with the lies of Babylon. They also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink, are out of the way. You know the way? That's the religion of God. It's not Christianity, it's not Judaism. The way. That's what God called his way, his path, his righteousness, his religion. People give it their own name. And by that, are in essence, witnessing that it is a human religion, not godly religion. They take some aspects of the religion of God and then they throw their own, uh, as God would call it, vomit into it. They mix it up together and they feed the people with it. And they give it names, their own names. But God says, are going to return, you know, because of that, they have turned out of the way, his way. And that's what the disciples always refer to God's religion as the way, that way. That's the reason why they did it. Because it is one religion. It's not two religions. The religion of Israel and the religion of the church. The religion of the Old Testament and the religion of the New Testament. It's one religion, one God, one people, one church. The deception that entered into the church created these lies that people believed and swallowed. And they are so drunk with it, they cannot even see their right from their left to this very day. And so he said, the priests and the prophets have erred through intoxicating drink. Speaking about the spiritual leaders to this very day. They're confused because of that. They've been, you know, from their, their uh, mother's milk, so to speak, have been fed lies. Now they don't know the difference. And even though when God opens our eyes, that doesn't mean that suddenly we know everything. 
That's what God commands us. Grow in grace and knowledge because you've got a lot of things that you don't know yet or you're confused about. And he commands us to come out of Babylon because we're still in it. We haven't totally come out of it. So it says the priests and the prophets, the leaders, the rabbis, the ministers, they know that they're the uh, pastors, whatever they call them, you know, any religion of Israel, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, this, that, the other thing. The priests and the prophets have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way. Always the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. This is the judgment of God. Of the religions of his people. Of the so-called churches of his people of the synagogues of his people. Verse 9. Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those that just weaned from milk? Those that just grown from the breast? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For with Verse 11, with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people. And the disciples of Christ, I'm just sending that, what Isaiah said, what God said through Isaiah and through Jeremiah and through Ezekiel and through Moses and through all that. They understood that God is speaking to his own people. And his own people are going to be dealt by God personally. And he's going to open their eyes and wash them from all their filthiness and remove the, the vomit which is in them. All the tables, that is, all their educational uh, material that comes to them, spiritually speaking. As far as God is concerned, it's all vomit, because it's a mixture. You know, you take food, wholesome food, banana, apple, peach, whatever it may be, and you eat it, it goes into your stomach, and the acids begin to work on it. Well, if you throw it up, it's called vomit, because of the acid that corrupted everything. And the acid is the one of the fornication of the great whore. And that affected both houses, Israel and Judah. And to this very day, they're all wallowing in it, and they don't even know it. To this one, we shall start and say, Greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.